And then today, very special day if you're visiting, this is not like other church services. We're doing a walk through the Bible, a walk through the Old Testament. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the key 40 key phrases so that you'll know the people, places, and events of the Old Testament storyline as it took place. It'll be a fun time. We're going to go through the book of Genesis in the teaching time today, right now, and then we're going to have a pizza under the tree experience. We'll, we'll feed you for a while. You go get your children, get some pizza, eat them under the trees or somewhere else, and then join us at one o'clock, and we'll get through from the book of, of Exodus through the book of Malachi up to the book of Matthew. Okay, that's our plan today. Here's why I feel like walk through the Bible is so important, or just this survey, is, is you have to see the big picture. Like it's a, it's a puzzle in a lot of ways. And, and we study passages, or you might have read a passage in the Bible that you love. I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Those passages are actually in the Older Testament, but you don't know the context of those. They're just small pieces. Today, we're not going to go deep at all, but we're going to go wide. We're going to get the big picture of the Old Testament. It's not like other books. One of the problems that people have when they pick up the Bible is they start at the beginning and they're reading through the storyline and there's stories being told and it seems like they're repeated a few times and then all of a sudden poetry breaks out. And then prophecy. And the reason is when you look at your Bible, if you see that slide there, the way they've put the Bible is not in chronological order so much as in order of genre or style of literature. So the first books of the Bible you'll see are the history books, and there's 17 of those. And then in the middle of the the Older Testament is the poetry books, and then at the end of the Older Testament, it's the prophecy books, and there's 17 of those. The first five are called major prophets because they're bigger. The second 12 are called minor prophets because they're smaller. The first five historical books, these are famous. They're called the Pentateuch. Penta means five. They're also the, the words of Moses, right, or the law sometimes it's called, or the Torah. Then the next 12 historical books are called other historical books. Just <laughs> ran out of Latin, I think. I, so we just call that other historical books. That's, that's all there is to that. If you look, in, you'll get a notebook later on or, or a map. Let me show you a great slide here that shows all of the books of the Bible, and that's how they line up. You'll notice the blue, again, are the historical books, but look how some of them are stacked. And the point is, some historical books do not add to the storyline. They're maybe bringing in a different perspective, like from a priest, or maybe they're summarizing, like the book of Deuteronomy does not move the story forward. It's just summarizing the previous three books. So the point is, If you haven't read the Bible before, or you just want to learn the storyline of the Older Testament, then I would say read this, what I call the historical highway to heaven, just those top 11 Old Testament narrative books, and that will tell you what takes place from the beginning until the book of Matthew, from creation to John the Baptist saying, here he comes, okay? That's a great way of of reading the Bible. I'd highly recommend that. Today, what I'd like to do in our teaching time, just in the next few minutes, is learn the key four events in the book of Genesis and the four major figures or personalities or characters to see God's plan rolled out in human history. Okay? That's what we're doing. If you open your Bible, the first page, first sentence says, in the beginning. In the beginning, there was God. That's all there was. And God created. 
He created all things out of his love and out of his joy. He creates all things. And in that creation, he makes light. He just speaks it into existence. Let there be light. Then there was. And then he makes our planet. And then he puts water on it. And then he forms land. And then he puts flowers and plants. And then animals. And then Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it is pointing towards a very special creation when he makes the first family, Adam and Eve. And we know that because it spends considerable amount of time in contrast to all of, all of creation. It says he makes them out of the, the ground or the dirt. And then it says he breathes into their nostrils to give them life. And the point of that story, that picture is that he gives us a soul, an everlasting, eternal part of us. We are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. We are made in the image of God. In that creation, he puts that first family in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, paradise on earth. And the point of, in, the, in the experience of the Garden of Eden, Eden, in that paradise, we are in complete harmony. We have symphony in our relationship with God. It's perfect. With each other, we are naked and unashamed. And even with nature, we get along and we all work to get well in harmony, in symphony. It is all good. It is all good. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 3 goes into the next event. That was creation. The next event takes place where there was a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord said, don't eat from that tree. And with acres and acres of paradise, somehow the first family finds itself being tempted, staring at the only thing they can't do and desiring that. And, and questioning whether or not God's in charge or he has a right to say or if he has a plan or if it's good. And they take from that tree and they eat. And in that disobedience, it's called the fall. The context of the fall is unfathomable. Now, what was harmony, what was symphony is violated. Now we are enemies with God and we are enemies with one another and we are enemies with nature. The lamb will go nowhere near the lion. That fall is paradise lost. Adam and Eve must leave the garden or else they might eat from the tree of life and be damned forever. And before they leave, God swears by himself in his own name and he promises Adam, the Adamic covenant, that I will make this right. I will fix this because only I can fix this. It will be a miracle. It will be a gift. Leave the garden. That's creation and that's fall. The next series of, uh, of events or the stories that take place give us this next event, and that's the flood that takes place. You know of Noah and the flood. And you might not know that the story getting to Genesis chapter 9, 4 through 9, is a descent into darkness. The first man born is a murderer. He kills his own brother out of jealousy, and it gets worse from there. By the time chapter 9 rolls around, the summary of humankind is this sentence. Every thought of man's heart was only on evil continuously. Every thought on man's heart was only on evil continuously. And God grieved this creation. So there is a recreation story. 
and God floods the earth and saves this one family, Noah's family, and they're on that ark for just about a year. And, and after that flood takes place and when the water settles, he makes a promise to Noah. It's called the Noahic Covenant. And he says, I won't flood the world again. I won't judge it like this. I swear by my own name. And as they're leaving, the Lord says to Noah and his family, I want you to spread out and make nations. I want you to make nations all over the world. Fill the earth, uh, fill the earth make it prosperous. And do you know what they did? They did not. They did not spread out and serve and follow. They all gathered together in one place and they said this, let us, became, let us become famous. And it says this in chapter 11 of Genesis. Let us take bricks instead of stone and tar instead of mortar so we might make a name for ourselves and we will build a tower to heaven. Listen to what they're using, okay? We're going to use bricks, man-made instead of stone, tar, man-made instead of mortar, and we will build a tower to heaven. We don't need God or his plan. And God is watching this, and it's happening. It's going to take place. They're working so well together. They're getting along in this endeavor, man-made attempt at getting what God has for them. And so God confounds their language and makes different people speak different things and so they can't get anything done. They're just babbling. And that's why it's called today the Tower of Babel when we refer to that event where God confounds their language and they can't speak together anymore. And that forces them to spread out and make nations all over. The people that spoke the same languages went off and did what they did. The Tower of Babel, Babel becomes Babylon as a picture of people rebelling against God. Well, there's four events that take place in Genesis 1 through 11. These four events can be remembered by these words, creation, fall, flood, and nations. Say that back to me. Ready? Creation, fall. Say it again. Great. Now we have 40... <laughs> We have 40 phrases to help us understand, so we're going to have to add hand motions and aerobics so that our minds can be reminded with our physicality. So here's what we're going to do for the word creation. We're going to start down here at the bottom, and we're going to make a giant circle like he's creating all things. We'll say creation, and then fall seems like it'd be an easy thing to do. Fall, and then flood is our fingers like wiggling because that's the water coming up over our head. We'll say flood. And then for nations, we'll like split an elevator door open like that. Nations. Now let's see those first four events. See that it goes like this. Creation, fall, flood, nations. You think you can remember that? Ah, I don't believe you. Prove it. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Let's all do that together. Are you ready? Yeah, this is not the church service you thought it was. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Creation. Fall, flood, great. Have a seat. You're doing great. A few more to go. Let me explain. Before we move on, you're going to have to know the real estate. I said people, places, and events. Let's learn some places. I'm going to go down and put the map on the screen. Let me show you. On the far left, that's a zoom in of Israel. On the right is the Middle East itself. So picture the big map, the one on the right, filling this whole giant wall, and now it's coming down and underneath our feet. Pick up your feet. Pick up your feet. Here comes the map, okay? So the map's underneath our feet. So regardless of what's real, this, according to our map, is north, right? So that's south. 
I know I've lost a lot of you already, okay? <laughs> Siri, where is south? Okay, north, south, east, and west. Okay, now, in this section of real estate that we're going to know a lot about is I'm going to tell you about four bodies of water here. In the middle, and hey, come to Israel with me. I'll show you all around. Okay, this is this will be a great experience for us. Th these four people right here, you guys are the best looking in all of Israel. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's about seven miles by fourteen miles. It's not a sea. It's a lake. Okay, let's just call it what it is. And it's a beautiful lake, though, tranquil many times. And then the storms come across it with great violence because of the hills that surround it. It's beautiful. It's blue. It's kind of turquoise at times. It flows into the Jordan River right down here. Mostly muddy, honestly, a lot of the times. And it goes about 65 miles. And then we have you poor people are the Dead Sea. <laughs> it's 10 miles wide, 50 miles long. It's called the Dead Sea because it's 1,300 feet below sea level. It is the, it is the lowest point on planet Earth. And so while water flows in, it can't flow out. There's no place lower. It's a, honestly, it's just like a metaphor for life. People that just take and don't give, they end up, their souls are like that. Bible study people that just take and don't give, they end up like that, the Dead Sea. These are the bodies of water, the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, the Dead Sea. And then this giant section right here is the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, why don't you guys wave? The waves of the Mediterranean right there. Never gets old. In between these bodies of water, this section right here will be called Israel. Israel. This is the, this is the, the center point of the promised land that God's going to promise. Okay? So, with all of that in mind, the first four events, we're talking about all of creation, all of mankind. In Genesis chapter 12, the mood changes and so does the focus. Because God is going to take his his point and perspective and go from wide angle to zoom in and tighten up and make sure that everybody understands the details of how he's going to fix what he said to Adam. He comes to a man named Abraham over here in Ur. It's kind of between the Tigris and Euphrates River. It's in, in east of the promised land. He's it's Genesis chapter 12. He's 75 years old and he, God comes to him and promises him four things. He says, Abraham, I promise you, I know you're 75, you don't have any kids, but I promise you, you'll have more children and descendants than you can number. That those descendants will be a nation. That nation will receive and inherit the promise of the greatest real estate on planet Earth. And one day, one day, I promise I'll fix this. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be a gift. But one of your descendants will be a blessing to all of mankind. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham says, I believe that. And God says, let me show you the land. And so he comes up and around what's called the Fertile Crescent because all of that is desert. And he comes up and around here. And then here we are at Genesis chapter 15. He's 85, 10 years later, still no child. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord. He goes, I'm going to promise you four things, more descendants than you can count. And Abraham laughs. So God says, let's come out of the tent. It's at night, no moon bright stars. He says, Abraham, count the stars. Look at them all up there. Abraham, one, two. No, Abraham, it's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. <laughs> You're going to have more descendants than you can even number than in, than in the stars above. And Abraham laughed. And he, can that be? And, and God said, oh, it's going to happen. I swear to me. 
And this is where the Abrahamic covenant comes in, in Genesis chapter 15. And they cuts a covenant with Abraham and swears by his own name, I promise, I'm going to fix this. I'm the only one that can. It'll be a miracle. It'll be a gift. Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is now 99 years old. It's still no child. And he comes to him, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord, I'm going to make you more descendants than you can number. And at this point, Sarah, his wife, she laughs. And God said, all right, here's what we'll do. I'll be back next year, and you're going to have that son. And sure enough, in a year, when Abraham is 100 years old, Isaac is born. And you know what Isaac's name means? Laughter. Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed. Now God laughs. We're all laughing at the promise fulfilled in this Isaac. Isaac is the star that was born in all those stars. We're going to remember these two characters, four events, now four people in the book of Genesis. Abraham will remember by saying his name like it's three different words, and we'll, and we'll be counting these stars. We'll say, Abraham. Okay, let's do that. Abraham. Isaac will be grabbing that last star, and we'll be bringing him down, and we will rock him gently. He's the, he's the fulfillment of the promise. So it goes like this. Abraham, Isaac. Isaac. Isaac is the fulfillment of that promise 25 years after the fact. Had a great class in graduate school by a, a scholar and genius named Bruce Walkie, and he said this. He said, faith is waiting. Much of faith is defined by waiting. God asked Abraham, do you want to be part of the, my plan to restore man to, to me? to restore man to each other, to restore man to nature. He said, I did. Okay. He believed that. But by faith, he had to wait. God doesn't have a watch. You wonder if he even has a calendar. And, and so I just want to, I'm, I'm just before we move on to the rest of the storyline, I want to pause and say, you can have a very long winter in your faith, but the, but the spring is still coming. An old coach, Vince Lombardi, used to say, fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. The apostle Paul said, do not grow weary in doing good. For if you do not stop doing good, you will have a harvest, a spiritual harvest. So how many people in this room need to hear these words? Faith is waiting. Keep waiting. I think as, as I've gotten older, my life verse is do not grow weary in doing good. Do not submit to Vince Lombardi where fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Here's our storyline so far. Creation, fall, flood, nation, Abraham, Isaac. Isaac has twin sons. They're not identical. Okay, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is the story or the man we're going to remember. He's the son of the promise, but he is a wrestler. He's a fighter. He fights all the time with everyone. He fought in his mother's womb with his twin brother. He fought on his birthday about who's going to be born first. I'm first. No, you're first. Jacob was second born, he, and he lost that time. He fought his brother Esau for his birthright. He fought his dad for his brother's blessing. 
He got in so much trouble with all of this wrestling with everyone he was around that he had to flee for his life and flees up and around the Fertile Crescent, ends up back home where, you know, the grandparents lived in Ur, and he, he's staying with his Uncle Laban. He wrestles Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban, turns out, was a Division I class, world-class wrestler and kicked his tail. But they're in so much strife, he has to run from Laban. And in his running from Laban, he wrestles God at the Javik River. And he wrestles God as though it were for death. And God touches Jacob on the hip, dislocates it, puts him in agony. And, and, and before he could leave, he, before God left this wrestling tournament, he, Jacob said, bless me, bless me. And God said, I will bless you. Everything you've been wrestling for your whole life was all part of the plan. It was all part of the promise. All the things that you've had to strive and connive for, I would have given you if you would just live by faith. It was my will, but it was your way. And so now, now that you've surrendered, I will give you a new name and a new identity. Your name is now Israel. So when we talk about Israel today, it's named after this Jacob, but born again Jacob, Israel. We talk about the 12 tribes of Israel. We talk about the 12 sons of Jacob, same thing. But Jacob, we're going to remember as a wrestler, and we're going to go like this, like an arm wrestler. Jacob, sorry, Jacob. Here's three of our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay, let's do that again. Ready? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. We're going to just remember one, obviously, because we're running out of you know, brain here. And so we're, we're going to remember his favorite son. His name is Joseph. Now, we know it's his favorite son because Jacob kept saying it to everyone all the time. Poor Joseph has 10 older brothers, and, he's, and they all know who's daddy's favorite. To make it vividly clear, vividly clear, Jacob has, I don't know, some kind of party or something where he's giving out gifts. He only gives one gift out to one child, Jacob. And it's a blazingly spectacular, expensive, and bright and brilliant jacket. You maybe heard the musical, right? Joseph, or, uh, Joseph's multicolored dream coat. That's it. That's how big a coat it was. They're still singing about it here in the 21st century. So... It was, his, it was Jacob's favorite, and then Joseph had some stuff, too. He was gifted by God, and he could interpret dreams, and he had dreams. As a young man, he had a dream that all of his brothers would bow down and, and serve him. And then he had another dream that not just his brothers, but his entire family, you know, his, his parents would be bowing down and serving him. So that's a really great dream. There's two of them. It must be from the Lord. But he told it to his brothers, that, yeah, I know, he lacked social skills. And so he's staying at home. His brothers are always tending the, shop, the flocks, and he's serving almost as, I don't know, a spy for his dad. And Jacob sends him out one time to go check on the 10 older brothers, and they see him coming, and they say, here comes the dreamer. We're going to serve him. And they said, let's get him. And they're getting him right here. In, the, in this promised land in Israel. And they grab this uh, Joseph and they're going to kill him. And one of the brothers says, let's not do that. And I don't know if I said, I, I'm, I didn't explain how critical this land is. I told you the choice is real estate in all the world. Because up until airplanes were invented, or actually cargo planes more specifically, this landmass it connects three continents. 
And if there's any trade routes or military conquest, it comes right through here. It's the only way to get through and around. And sure enough, that's why it's such choice real estate. The boys had Joseph. They were going to kill him. And they said, no, look, there's some slave guys coming through. There's a route coming through. And they're going to Egypt down here. Let's sell him. And they do. And they put Joseph in, in bondage. And they send him over here all the way to the exit, pretty much over here to Egypt. Think about that. He didn't do anything wrong. The young man is sold into slavery, and as a slave, he's put on an auction block, and a political leader takes, buys him. His name is Potiphar. Potiphar's a, a wealthy man with connections, and God blesses him. God blesses Joseph in the context of this. And he rises up in Potiphar's house. He's in charge of everything, and Potiphar, Potiphar's wife has attracted him and tries to seduce him actually orders him to do some, th some things. Joseph will have nothing to do with it because it's a sin against God and his boss. But she presses charges in attempted rape, so he ends up un unjust un unjustly put into prison. And then God blesses him. <laughs> God just keeps blessing him, and so he ends up being the head prisoner. And while he's the head prisoner, he looks like there's a way out. He gets hope that things might work for him and justice might prevail, and then he doesn't and has to stay in prison for an additional two years. And then the Pharaoh at the time has a terrible nightmare, not one, but two, and no one can interpret it. And then it's realized that Joseph has the gift of interpretation. And so they call him up, they clean him up, and they present him to, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, what does my dream mean? And Joseph leads with this. Only my God can give this answer. Very bold. Only God has blessed me with this. Still bragging about God, even in all of this context. He tells him that there's a dreadful plague that's coming. And if and only if Pharaoh prepares for that, lives will be saved and he will become powerful. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, I know just the man to be in charge of such an endeavor. And so Joseph is put in charge of preparing for this great famine. He is second only to Pharaoh. The famine comes. The famine is experienced by everyone in the Middle East. And so part of that experience is those brothers that were here and their father, and they end up going to Egypt. And guess who they have to report to? Joseph. But now he's clean-shaven. He's Egyptian-looking, and he's standing there, and these, boys, these, young, these men are in front of him, and because of his power and his royalty, they bow down before him just like the dream said. Now, Joseph has unbridled authority. He is unlimited in his expression of jurisprudence. Whatever he wants happens. No one's going to challenge him. And he looks at those, those adult men now, the one that put him in this whole story, and he has to choose between what he is owed and being part of God's plan. Will he choose to require justice of these 10? Or will he see that his story is just part of a bigger story? And he says to the, the, to the men, stand up come closer, recognize me, and they're now scared unto death as they should be. And he says this, what you meant for evil, God in his big plan meant for good. What you meant for evil, God in his big plan meant for good. I think 
there might be some people here today that are fighting with a choice, a, a choice to hold on to and maybe even build a bondage to what is owed you, or do you want to be part of God's will? Can you let go of something so that you might enjoy the freedom of delegating justice to the only just and true God so that you might enjoy the rest of your life? There's a lot of applications in the Bible, but the story of Joseph, there's nothing more powerful in many ways in the book of Genesis because it's the story of the sovereignty of God lived out by trusting and obeying in this big plan, in this big plan. You know, sometimes faith is waiting and Joseph waited and he waited and he waited and then it happened. And then in that waiting, he became a man of God and he chose not to hold on to what he deserved, but rather to cling to the promises of God. We're going to remember Joseph by remembering that coat and say, Joseph, here's the four people. Okay. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Isn't that a great story? Can you guys, is there someone here that needs to hear those words? Let go and let, just enjoy, enjoy being in the presence of God. Let's stand up together and remember the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis ends with all of those Jews in Egypt. There's 70 of them now. They are in great favor with Pharaoh. They get the land of Goshen, the choicest real estate to graze uh, the sheep on and to raise a family. It's a beautiful ending of a great story in the book of Genesis. Here's the book of Genesis. Let's review. It goes like this. Creation, fall, flood, nations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Awesome. Let's, uh, why don't you turn to just one person next to you maybe and do those eight hand signs. Okay, let's all, uh, here's, I put this in your, uh, in your bulletin, your missalette. How do you, you think you could do that? Let's just do it with just the words. See how C starts for creation. Let's see if we can just do it just with our words. Awesome. Great job. Here's the thing, what we're going to do. Have a seat. Uh, we're going to break for lunch after the next song or so and some announcements. You go get your children first. Then get in line and eat some pizza together. Even if you're not coming back for the seminar, we'll go through the next, uh, the, that's the first eight. We have four more sections to do. You'll come back. We'll finish that at 3 o'clock. We're going to start promptly at 1 o'clock here. Okay. Your children and teenagers can be going through it as well. Uh, what else in bar that? If you would not bring pizza in this room, that would be awesome. But you can bring it anywhere else. Pick your kids first, though. And even if you're not coming to the seminar, join us for pizza under the trees, if you, if, if you would. Okay? Here's the thing, friends. Here's life in a nutshell. Find out what God is doing around you and get, get on board with that. Find out what God's plan is, like right here and right now, and just change your life so you're part of that. I would, the re, one of the reasons we're studying the, the Bible all year long, and particularly the walkthrough today, and then we'll do New Testament in August, is so that we can see the thread of God's sovereign power. Sovereign means God has a plan and he has the power to make the plan work. We want to be part of that. Desperately, we want to be part of that. And so 
we have to know what the plan is. We need to know what the top of the box looks like so we work out the puzzle pieces. We have to know God's will so we can know how to become part of God's will. We use the characters of the Old Testament to give us faith and direction on where to go and how to get there. Would you, I hope you join me in just a, maybe a half hour or so or an hour. It'll be almost 12 o'clock. Yeah, so at 1 o'clock, we'll start again for the rest of the time. But would you join me in this prayer, this prayer of submission, and maybe hear God's spirit? Is faith waiting? Or is your expression of faith maybe right now choosing to let go of what you deserve so that you might enjoy what God has? Those are the applications so far in the book of Genesis. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we lift up uh, this wonderful book that you have rolled out to us, this series of covenants, this, this progression of promises so that we might know that you are at work. We look around us and the world looks like there's not much, there's not much of a plan. And we wonder, and then we see the Bible, we look at history and, pa- and its past and see how it's gotten to the present. We say, you're part of that. And Lord, we desperately want to be part of today. We want to be a church that understands where we are, when we are, and who we are. That we have a new identity. That we, by faith, because it was a gift and it was a miracle, that we are your children. Lord, I'd ask that you would open our minds to who you are, what you're like, and your plan for redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.